0: want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to 1 Peter. Today we bring our journey in 1 Peter to a close and so we're going to be in the last half of of chapter 5 verses 6 to 14. It's always a little risky for me up here to talk about like a TV show or a movie because you know we all have different tastes opinions and preferences and you know, that kind of thing. So it's always kind of risky. And, I, and I'm not saying you should watch this show, but Mal and I have been watching a show called The Good Place. Now, it's not a bad show, but it's not like family-friendly, kind of like Seinfeld, you know, something like that. Anyway, uh, this show is called The Good Place because it's about the afterlife. Uh, what the afterlife is like, how you get there, and what it means to be a moral person. It's funny. And witty, and at times it's thought-provoking, because it talks a lot about morals and philosophy and that kind of thing. And so the good place is actually the show's name for heaven, and the bad place is the show's name for hell. And, and like I said, the show revolves around the question of how you get into the good place and how people might end up in the bad place. Well, what you end up finding out is that people are graded by points. There's like this divine accounting office with all these accountants sitting at their desks and and they track every human decision, every human word, every human thought, every human action. And whatever it is, there's a point system related to that action. So if you steal, right, you lose points. And if you like give to the homeless, you get points. I want to pose a question to you day, would you earn enough points to get to the good place? Do you think that your good actions outweigh your bad actions enough to get to the good place? I ask this because I actually asked myself this question just um, as I was thinking about the show and I was, the answer I had scared me because my first thought was, Oh yeah, I would have enough points. I'm a pastor. Calling is to serve people. I'm a good dad and a, a good husband. I try not to lie about other people or do harm to others. So what about you? How would you really honestly answer that question? As I reflect on my own pride and my own self-righteousness i'm hit in the face with 1 peter chapter 5 verse 6 humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god humble yourselves fall on your face before this god Be- become undone Because what God has called us to be isn't a good people, but a Christ people. This isn't about good points, but about a good Christ. Peter ends his epistle, this letter, by showing us that God doesn't call good people and he doesn't demand we have good points. This is not about having good behavior. It's about a people who are called to stand firmly in a good Christ. And Peter calls us to stand firmly in three different ways today. And I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and read our passage today, verses 6 to 14. Excuse me. All right, let's read. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. There are two kinds of people in this room today. And really just two kind of people in the world. There are those... Who take their Christmas decorations down immediately after Christmas is over. And those who keep their Christmas decorations up to soak up the Christmas season. Just as a side note, I'm not saying that those of you who take them down immediately are like communists or anything. But we probably need to talk. Well, like there's two different kinds of people with their Christmas decorations, there's also two kinds of humility. I know Peter has already talked a great deal about humility, and we talked about humility a lot last week. But the humility that Peter was focused on last week was a relational humility, right? Clothing ourselves in humility toward one another. The humility that Peter has in mind here is a a worshipful humility. The posture of our hearts before God. So this leads to our first point, stand firmly with a humble trust. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why does he say therefore? Because at the end of of verse 5 there, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If God opposes the proud, then humble yourselves. (laughs) Take every effort to humble yourself. Shed any pretense of self-righteousness. Rid yourself of any thought that you can bring anything of worth before this God. Rid yourself of any notion that you have good points. Humble yourselves under His mighty hand. To humble yourself under God's mighty hand means that that hand has entire rights over your life as your creator. Like God has all your rights in his hand, your right to live, breathe, eat, be clothed. He has every right, but he also has prerogative against you because he is your judge as a sinner. This goes all the way back. This is related to what Peter says to chapter 1, verse 17, where Peter exhorted these Christians to conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. It's the same thought, right? To fear God is to humble yourself before Him. Right? Comprehending who He is in all of His majesty and comprehending your sin before His holiness. It's the same thought. Humble yourselves because God opposes the proud. Take every effort to humble yourself under His mighty hand. But if it's true that God opposes the proud, it's just as true that God gives grace to the humble. That's why the mighty hand of God here that Peter uses is both cautionary and encouraging how is it encouraging because it's precisely this mighty hand of God that look at verse 6 again at the proper time he may exalt you the same hand that cautions judgment is the same hand that lifts you up Peter surely has Jesus in mind here who who says in many places in the Gospel, whoever exalts exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Thankfully, Peter tells us how to humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves, Peter? Verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties on him. It it was Charles Spurgeon who said, turn every care into a prayer. I think that's a great quote. But I do want to point something out here. Because there's a difference between uttering words in a prayer and truly casting. Okay, let me give you an example, and I'm going to use Willa. She uses language to talk to people that only she understands. Okay, so one day when her grandparents were watching her, they asked her, what do you want to eat? I want beans bats. Everybody knows know what beans bats are? Okay, so they didn't either. What, what do you want? Beans bats. I want beans bats. I want beans bats. She she repeats herself over and over and over again, so finally the grandparents sent us a video asking, what is she saying? Bat bats? Like coronavirus like came from bats or whatever, like this what is she talking about? She means beans, rice, and beef. Why she calls them beans bats, I don't know. The point is that she can say the same thing over and over to somebody, but it doesn't make a difference. We can be the same way in prayer. We can pray about the same thing over and over, but as long as we aren't casting, we aren't truly praying. Casting means releasing. It means surrendering. It means, it means giving up control. And, and and get this, when we're not casting on to God, we're not trusting in God. And that's an important point because that's when worry and anxiety become pride because we're holding on to our own problems, thinking we can resolve them with our own strength. That's why it's so incredibly important to humble yourselves by casting. And, and sometimes, don't hear me wrong, sometimes it does mean we pray about the same thing over and over. Okay, But when we do that, it's a wrestling to actually cast. You see what I mean? So we humble ourselves by casting. Unloading. Releasing. Sometimes we have to do this multiple times a day. Sometimes we have to do it day by day. But we're always seeking to cast. And what is the ultimate motivation for casting? He cares for you, He's not indifferent, He's not cruel, He's not distant. He's not aloof. God cares for you. And He cares for your problems. And He wants to shoulder your burdens. Psalm 68 is one of my favorite psalms. And it says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. and casting our daily burdens and our cares on this, God leads to a restful, humble trust. Because it's precisely when you're trusting that you're resting, isn't it? But I have to to be honest about something at this point because I don't like... Well, let me rephrase that. One thing that I hate about living in the Midwest is all the tornadoes, okay? I'll take hurricanes over tornadoes any day. Mal can sleep through tornado sirens, but I'm up out of bed looking, keeping watch, okay? Like, I don't know, but I can't sleep if I know there's this swirling mass of wind, dust, and debris that's out to destroy us all. You see what I mean? All right, I'm not going to sleep. But in contrast to my sleeplessness over tornadoes, it's actually our humble trust that leads to a a, a faithful watchfulness, a faithful watching. So this leads to our second point. Stand firmly with rooted vigilance. Rooted vigilance. Peter switches gears here in in, in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Being sober-minded is, is one of the most common commands in, in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples to have a sharpness of mind. All right? Because, especially as it relates to looking out for sin, because... As we go about life and we face temptations and we face sufferings and, and Jesus' return is imminent, we can be lulled to sleep by sin and apathy and all these kinds of things. So we have to be sober-minded. Jesus, he said in Luke 21, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And and here's the connection between being watchful, like being alert, and trusting. It's you can only be watchful when you're trusting. In other words, panicking and worrying and alarmism are the opposite, right, of trusting. And so we're watchful not to raise a panic, but because because we know where our confidence lies. We're watching not because we're scared, but because we're confident. So what are we watchful for? Verse 8 again. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We believe we have an adversary, an enemy, whose day and night profession and desire it is to devour Christians. This doesn't mean we always blame our problems on the devil. If you're always blaming the devil for all your sins and problems and issues, the devil's got you right where he wants you. But it does mean we have a powerful enemy who wants to trap us and devour us. An enemy who is always at work against us. And, and right here, I know I did this a couple weeks ago, but I love doing this. I want to ease your fears about the end of the world, okay? me just put your minds at ease. Recently on Facebook, you may have seen it, there was this big hoopla about this sculpture put in front of the UN headquarters. you guys see that? It's a jaguar with wings. People are... Quote Revelation all over the place. And let me just say this. The devil would love it if we were more alarmed over a statue than over our own sin. See what I mean? The devil doesn't care if we're raising alarms over a statue. He cares if we're ignoring the deeper problem. He's not out to alarm you with with statues. He's out to devour you by lulling you to sleep, by by getting you to sin and abandon your faith. But guess what? The devil is not all-powerful. There is only one who is all-powerful. And you are not hopeless against Satan. Satan. Peter encourages, encourages us in verse 9. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This reminds me so much of James who, who wrote in his letter to submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. how can we resist the devil like do we have it in ourselves to resist temptation like do we have the strength to say no to the devil no we resist this devil by the same humble trust that we saw earlier the power is not in ourselves but it is in the god who cares for us if god truly cares for us then, like he says in 1 Corinthians, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. If we believe that, then we'll trust it. I think that's actually 2 Corinthians. but Tom Schreiner wrote about this, that believers triumph over the devil as they continue to trust God, believing that He truly cares for them and will sustain them to the end. Perseverance until the last day is accomplished from first to last not by gritting our teeth, not by pulling up our bootstraps, but by faith. And that same faith is encouraged by knowing that we share the same kinds of sufferings with Christians throughout history and throughout the world. That's why he says, knowing right that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood right whatever we might face here right we i know it's worse in other places but whatever we might face here social ostracization ridicule rejection whatever right it's experienced by christians throughout history and throughout the world and guys church history is a gracious gift of god like we have 2000 years of Faithful stories of faithful Christians who persevered to the end. One of my favorites in recent history is Jim Elliott. Right? Jim Elliot is killed by the very people he's trying to bring the gospel to in Ecuador. But he's famous for this line. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we suffer for our faith, and that just shows we belong in the same family as Christians all over the world. We're rooted in a Christian community. And that encourages a rooted vigilance. Finally, we stand firm with hopeful endurance. Peter ends with an encouragement to endure, and he does that in three ways that I'll break down. He limits the present, he sanctifies the past, and he glorifies the future. All right, look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So first, Peter limits the the present. In other words, he puts an end date, an expiration date on suffering, after you have suffered a little while. I I use these guys as an example quite a bit, and it's just because I I love reading about them, Uh, but the seals, right? And seal training called BUDS is probably, probably the most intense training in the world. No disrespect to Army, no disrespect to Marines or Air Force, right? But SEAL training is incredibly intense. And, and virtually everyone that I've read about that's gone through this training and completed it successfully talks about that they have this, this thought. They don't think about the whole 24 weeks. They only stay through by focusing on the moment, knowing that what they're going through has an endpoint. Right? I only have to get through one more pull-up. I only have to do this paddling for five more minutes or whatever. Right? They focus on the fact that it has an endpoint, And I think that's a great mindset for the Christian. The suffering we may experience now, rejection, ostracization, ridicule, or even persecution, all has an expiration. And listen, this is especially true if we frame it in terms of eternity. Just endure for a little while and you will have no pain for eternity. In 10,000 years, you will experience never-ending joy if just for now you suffer a little while so peter limits the past but he also, or present but he also sanctifies the past he says the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ peter reminds us that we are connected to the god of all grace Let me repeat that. The God of all grace. Not some grace. Not a little grace. Not stingy grace if you can achieve it. The God of all grace. And this God of all grace has already called us to His eternal glory in Christ. And if you are a Christian, the fact that you believe in Christ today is the miracle of miracles. Because you are not a Christian because you deserved it, and you are not a Christian because you asked for it. You are a Christian because God looked on you and called you by His own sovereign grace. Elected in eternity. Chosen since before you were born. Despite all the sin in your life. What astounding grace. Peter glorifies the the future. This God who called you will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, strengthen, and establish you. He'll restore you by mending and repairing what you've lost to make you new. He'll confirm you by showering you with His endless love. He'll strengthen you by sustaining you to the end and delivering you. He'll establish you by grounding you in Christ forever. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The God who allows his children to suffer and who allows the devil to roam, who allows the devil to rage is the God of all dominion, all sovereignty, and all control. So, are you worried about losing freedoms? It's in the hands of the God of all dominion. Are you worried about ridicule or losing friends or family? It's in the hands of God of all dominion. Worried about losing your life? It's in the hands of the God of all dominion. It is to Him our lives belong, and in His hands our faith rests, and He cares for you. We don't endure by the skin of our teeth. We endure hopefully. We endure with confidence in the God of all dominion and the God of all grace. Peter concludes his chapter with a final greeting. And I want to focus on one phrase here. Well, I guess it's two, but He says, I have written briefly to you there in verse 12, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is not about good behavior. And it's not about getting enough points to get into the good place. This is about standing firm in a good Christ. the reality is we can take comfort knowing that if you are standing in Christ, you will do these things. Humble trust, rooted vigilance, and hopeful endurance aren't the result of your good behavior, but growing deeply into Jesus. So do you want security? Stand firm in Jesus. Do you worry about suffering and whether you're going to make it? Stand firm in Jesus. Do you want to endure to the end? Stand firm in Jesus. Cling to Him with even the weakest faith and He will hold you and keep you. Cling to Him when you're at the end of the rope and He will sustain you to the end. Cling to Him when the devil has his mouth on you and is about to devour you and He will vanquish him. Christ fights for you when you have nothing left in yourself. But this is only true if you have humbled yourself. Like, have you been confronted with and convicted of your sin and self-righteousness and pride? Have you seen your sin in contrast to a holy God? Have you seen how hopeless you are to save yourself? Humble yourself now, knowing there's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. Fling yourself at Christ's feet and cry out to Him for mercy. Stand firm in Christ because He is the only one who is good. Stand firm in a good Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are hopeless without You. We don't have the strength in ourselves to do this, but Lord, in You, we can. It's not us who produces this in ourselves, it's You who produces this in us. So Lord, we look to You. (laughs) We look to You. Lord Jesus, we need You. Please work this in us. Help us to endure to the end by Your grace. Help us to resist the devil by Your grace. Help us to cast our cares on You by Your grace and Your goodness. And in this coming year, Lord, grow our roots deeply in You and who You are and and what You have done for us and what You continue to do for us day by day. May our answer always be only Jesus. Only Jesus. Work this in us, Lord. Work this in us. We ask this of You and we trust that You will because You promise. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.